All right. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 13. I want you to hold it open this morning. We're going to read it, and then we're going to look at it some more. So you might want to look at it more than once this morning. So just keep your Bible open to Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Communication is a complicated thing in our world and has been forever. I would imagine that no matter how young or how old you are or how long you've been married or how short you've been married or how long you've had a friend, or how short you've had a friend, you understand about the difficulties in communication. Some of our difficulty is in the words we use, and that's mostly what we're going to have to talk about this morning, but we have a lot of difficulty in our demeanor, don't we? Uh, we, we know that body language communicates a whole lot more than our verbal language does. And we need to remember all those things as we talk about communication this morning. There, uh, I, there are probably more than three, but I'm going to talk at least, I mentioned at least three levels of communication this morning that I think uh, will apply to this scripture. And one is just the, there's some surface level communication we have with people. It happens on Sunday morning. It happens when you go to your office. It happens when you get up in the morning. Oftentimes you're just asking how you doing? What's happening? Isn't it nice to have sunshine? Oh, I'm sorry, we've got another day of rain. The, the just surface level stuff. And then there's a communication that happens when we both have some mutual interest in what's going on. Uh, the Fishers of Men's Saints School class this morning may have been talking about, well, we're $100 short of what we need to build this ramp uh, over here. This is a mutual interest communication. We talk about what we're going to do about that or the church at large says uh, the budget's not where it ought to be. We're not uh, raising enough money to, to meet our expenses. Let's talk about that. That's a mutual interest kind of communication. And then there's the communication at a deeper level that's uh, emotional communication. Uh, when your wife says to you, golly, honey, I really like it when you compliment me in public it really makes me feel so cherished inside those are emotional kinds of communication they're at a deeper level of communications or why do you always complain about what I do around the house when I try to do a good job at something or somebody at your office says well why are you always giving me the bad project we begin to talk about how we feel about things and uh, when we talk to God about stuff, we probably uh, 
have some of the same kinds of difficulties that we have uh, as human beings. Uh, when we're early in our faith development, uh, whether it's... Uh, and faith development doesn't have anything to do with how long you've been a Christian. It should, but it doesn't. Faith development means how long you've been working at developing your faith in an honest way. But when we're in the early stages of that faith development, we're, we're asking God to take care of things. We're asking God to do what it is that we think he ought to do. We're asking God to take care of things the way we think he ought to take care of them. What can you do for me, God, that's going to be best for me? And that's the outcome I want. Uh, just, you're just talking to God, telling him what you want, whether it's for you or whether it's for somebody else. But when you go through life and you have some experiences that you discover are troubling, they're paradoxes, uh, conflicting truths in life, and you begin to wonder what's happening and your communication begins to get a little deeper, you begin to wonder what's happening, you begin to wonder about how can life be so unfair uh, Lord, I've been a, a good servant of yours. How can life be so difficult? Uh, Jesus, what happened to that abundant life clause that you talked about? I'm supposed to be experiencing and I'm not feeling that now. Then we begin to think, well, that maybe there's something else here that I need to talk to God about. But a lot of things happen. Uh, sometimes... We're afraid to talk to God honestly. I don't know why all that is. Uh, sometimes it just happens that way. Sometimes people slip away because they, uh, they feel uh, depressed by the world, by things that have happened to them. And they slip away in life. They slip away from church. They slip away from the development of their faith. They stop talking to God instead of beginning to talk to God. But there's a better way. There's a better way for us than withdrawal. And it's reflected in Psalm 13. Now, Psalm 13 is one of 60 seven psalms that are called psalms of lament. That means a complaint. A complaint about uh, something's gone wrong. A complaint about a doubt that I have. A, a, a complaint of some sort. Of the 150 psalms, 67 of them are laments. Most of them are individuals like this one is attributed to King David. But some of them about... Uh, 12 or 15, 17 of them, something like that, are group laments. The people of God are calling out to God for some reason or another. These laments follow a pattern, and I think this pattern is reflective of what you and I maybe ought to think about as well. The first thing in this pattern is we, we make a statement of complaint. What is our problem? What, what is worrying us? What are we complaining about before God? What is it that God's not doing that we think he ought to be doing? That's found in the first two verses. 
And then we move from the complaint to saying, well, God, this is why it is you ought to be doing something about this. This is what you ought to do. I need for you to do this. And that's our communication with God at another level. And then, thirdly, the last two uh, verses, verses 5 and 6, are a submission to trust God and to stay with Him and to believe that He's going to bring something good out of what's bad or that He's going to give me strength to endure whatever I need to suffer or He's going to teach me what I need to learn in this suffering. Whatever, but we're going to trust God. And that's the pattern. And we need to find a way to have that same kind of pattern. Listen to these first two verses again. He says four times, four times, he says, how long? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I suffer in sorrow, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Now, you'd think maybe, well, this is a psalm. It's, it's kind of a poem thing. This is kind of a, just a, a light kind of thing. But no, if you knew the Hebrew words, you would know these are real words of sorrow and anguish. These are not just flowery words that come out this way because it's a poem, because it's a song. These are real words of anguish. There are times in our lives when singing God is so good God is so good to me is just too simple a response to what happens in our life. These first two verses, I think, uh, tell us a couple things about what we ought to do. One, when life falls apart or when the world falls in on us, we need to turn to God. Now, there is a great temptation for lots of different reasons to turn inward. We just ignore God and think He is not paying any attention to us. And we have our pity parties or we have whatever, but we turn inward. And when we turn inward, refusing to cry out to God what's real in our life, we get a lot of trouble. We isolate ourselves, sometimes from church people, sometimes from God Himself, sometimes from other things, from family. Sometimes we turn to other risky business kind of opportunities that distract our minds from our troubles, whether it's drugs or drinks or activities, whatever it happens to be. We turn inward and then we turn outward to things that aren't healthy for us. We need to learn to turn to God. And when we turn to God, we need to be honest with God. Do not worry about finding the right words to talk to God with. God is not interested in your vocabulary. He is interested in what you anguish about and what you really feel, not in having them said in the right way. There's no special words. Just tell God like it is. There's often a question in our mind, well, can I really say those kind of things to God? 
can I really call God's activity into question? Can I really begin to say, God, I suspect your will in this situation looks really crummy to me. It is not turning out like I thought it ought to turn out. You said this, but look what's happening to me. I've been a good person. Look what's happened to us. I've been a faithful follower of yours. I prayed day and night for weeks, yet look what happened. Sometimes we think we're afraid to say those things, but we ought not to be. (laughs) The psalmists say of them often. We would be in good company, would we not? Moses and Jeremiah and Paul, Jesus himself, all shared their gut feeling with God, unafraid of what he would say. You ought to read Job sometime. Job was really good at telling God what he thought. And we need to learn to do the same thing, to be honest with God in our communication. It is God that made us the way we are. We all need to vent. Now, sometimes we don't choose the right person to vent toward, especially when we decide we're going to turn inward with our pain and our worry and our anxiety. We end up venting on people that uh, don't need to be vented on. They don't have anything to do with it, but they get the blunt of our anger. We need to be careful who we vent on. God is able to take our venting. And sometimes that's the very best place. Sometimes it's the only place for us to go to vent our true feelings. But we need to learn to do that. There is in verse 3 and 4 this voice of a reason why it is that God, uh, that David wants God to do something. David says, well, I don't want to die. You need to fix it so I don't die. God, if I die, my enemies would rejoice. Now, David could have had those as pure motivations, could he not? As the king of Israel. We might not think that self-preservation or the rejoicing of our enemies would be a a pure motive. And I can't say what David's motives were, but they could have been more pure than what we might think at first glance. When he begins to ask God to take care of him, to not let him die, to keep him alive. But we need to examine our motives when we vent our feelings to God, our displeasure, our disbelief, our doubt. We need to take time to listen. And God might help us better understand our motivation, whether it's selfish or not selfish. And then we need to decide how to go from there. But we need to take time always to listen and adjust our attitude This dialogue, I think, took place here in uh, this psalm because in the last two verses, 4 and 5, there is this surrendering 
to his unfailing belief that God is going to do a good thing in his life. And he did. I rely on your constant love, David says. I will be glad because you will rescue me. I will sing to you, O Lord, because you have been good to me. Because we are honest with God about how we feel and our motivations, we can come to trust Him. David found a way to trust God in spite of how he felt. And we need to find a way to trust God in spite of how we feel. But never be afraid to tell God how you feel, how disappointed you are in what He's brought to your life it feels like or what he has allowed in your life there are lots of miseries in our world and it seems that God is good and yet there's still this great misery in our world let alone just in our life and God is not too small To hear that from us. Nor is he disappointed when he hears that from us. God doesn't need to hear this for his benefit. God needs to hear it from you for your benefit. We are the ones who need to get out in front of us what we really feel about what God or what we perceive to be what God is doing in the world or in our life. And when we get it out here where we can see it, we can better evaluate it and say, yes, Lord, that's, that's the right motivation. I'm calling out for the right kind of action on your part or justice on your part. And I'm listening for what you have to say to me. There's a contemporary song I hear on K-Love every once in a while. I I don't know the lyrics to it all. I wish I did. I don't know the lyrics to it, but it's a guy who's crying out every time he sees an injustice happening in the world. And he wants to know where God is. And the song moves on around to say, God said, that's why I created you to respond to that injustice, to work on that hurt, to soothe that pain, to help that other individual. And that's why we need to get some of this out of us so that we can see it and we can listen as we allow God to say to us, maybe there's something you need to do about this. Or maybe there's something you can't do about this and you just need to let it go and allow me to bring healing in your attitude. Attitude is the great thing in our lives, is it not? It it makes all the difference. We're so grateful that uh, Louise McFalls has a good attitude about life. In spite of her broken hip, in spite of her agony, she's going to have a good attitude about what she does in recovery. 
we need to have a good attitude about life, an attitude that God gives us that makes us stronger, that makes us more compassionate, that makes us more forgiving, that makes us more tolerant of the pain that we have to experience in life. God is good to us when we allow Him to be. God is good to us when we cry out to Him with our deepest, deepest concerns. And only then can we decide that we need to affirm God's goodness in all things. As David did, he learned to trust God no matter what. And we need to learn to trust God no matter what. Doing what we are called to do as believers and allowing God to do the rest to heal our minds, to heal our bodies, to heal our attitudes so that we can rejoice in what God is doing in our life in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty. If you've never known God in such a way that you could share your deepest agonies with Him, you need to learn how. Maybe you don't know how because you've never surrendered your life to Him. If you'd like to do that this morning, you're invited to come as we sing an invitation hymn. Perhaps you've been a believer for some time and you still have a hard time believing it's okay to tell everything to God.